Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And we're back here on Go, Go Space Cowboys. Oops, I mean Go, Go Astros and Brian and Andy are here. Um, you know, Andy, we're going to talk a lot more about the Go, Go, uh, the, uh, the Go, Go Space Cowboys, the Space Cowboys on Let's Get You. But you and I were out for the reveal. I wanted your take on the reveal and then also, Brian, your take on it from far away. I know, Brian, you're a little less minor league focused, but Andy, overall, what did you think of the event and just how it went? I mean, the event was a lot of fun, and I think we were both expecting, you know, 750 to 1,000 people, and I think they easily had 3,000 people. I wasn't counting heads. They are reporting uh, over 5,000 people. Yeah, I mean, so it was very crowded, and I know people, when we left at 530-ish, so we'd been there for an hour and a half, um, there were still people coming in. Um, hopefully to get in that merch line because it was long. We did learn that if you have a, a official looking camera, that lines don't matter to you. So that's nice. That's I good, good information. I definitely jumped the line by saying I need to get in the, into the pro shop to shoot some B-roll and they opened like, like cut me cut and I shot some B-roll and bought four hats and a Jersey. Um, but yeah, I think overall the, um, the presentation was good. Uh, their sound system is bad. I think that was the one takeaway I had as far as a negative because you couldn't hear what was actually going on. But um, it was lively. Uh, Astros personnel came down to help out uh, with the flow of traffic and dealing with the media and all that kind of stuff. And I think the overall look is going to be a hit. I mean, just based on the line that you saw at the concession or at the uh, pro shop, uh, Pretty much from if they open the gate at four o'clock, that line was horrible starting at four fifteen, um, and I'm talking hundreds of people deep horrible. And uh, yeah. merch was flying off the shelves. Uh, everybody seemed to enjoy it. They had a lot of different looks and looks that kind of, even if you think the name's a little bit ridiculous, minor league baseball names are a little bit ridiculous sometimes. But the color scheme was good. The theme is good. And if this is the way we're going to sync up our minor league teams to a major league team, if that's what it's going to look like, I think this was a success. Brian, how did you feel about it just from afar? Yeah, I mean, so it's part of a, you know, as sort of Andy says, you know, minor league teams have ridiculous names. Part of why they have ridiculous names is because it's a merchandising hook. It's a chance to have an identity with something with within a community and to be something that is, you know, that sort of stands out and makes it attractive. And of course, you know, anyone who owns a minor league team, whether it's, you know, a mom and pop person who's owned it for years, or in this case, the billionaire owner of a major league baseball team, uh, they like money and getting people to buy their merchandise uh, and do this. So this is, I think, a common thing we'll see, um, you know. One thing that's up here that's been very interesting to see is that there's a real sort of connection between particularly the team and the, the minor league team in Brooklyn, which is uh, when I went last time, it was a short season eight. I forget how it uh, shook out with the uh, with the changes in minor league baseball. But there's a real intimate connection between that team and particularly the Mets. And that was something that was really pushed by the previous set of owners, uh, the Wilpons, who almost frankly at times seemed to care more about Brooklyn than they did about the Mets, <laughs> both uh, um you know so there's a balance there and it'll be interesting to see if that kind of develops between the again you know jim crane owned space cowboys and the jim crane owned astros uh two teams with obviously sort of you know different places but within essentially the same market i do i do think it's interesting 
it's funny because, um, you know, and, and we had talked about this, Andy, you and I a bunch about sort of the fear of what's, what was going to happen with contraction. And I don't think it's been as bad as even I thought it was going to be. I think in some ways, um, from a guy who goes to a lot of games, a standard ticketing operation has been amazing. Like all some of it's worked. And I wasn't too worried about the Astros because they do have good relationships with their minor league clubs, mm-hmm. but they also still feel like unique minor league. Club. They didn't change the hooks. Uh, they created the Woodpeckers, and the Woodpeckers is very Fort Bragg. Everything, first of all, if you see a red cockaded Woodpecker on an Army post, you're supposed to mark the like. I had a, I had flashbacks when I heard the name, but I, I wasn't terribly worried. I would 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 posit this though. Um, you know, the design was done in house, which means not brandios, so it wasn't a thing swinging a thing, which is the sort of cliche when we talk about brandios brands. But that's a, is that a direction, Andy? You and I have talked about Astros uniforms being bland. Is that a direction you'd like to see them go with? Maybe not as goofy as the Space Cowboys look, but it's a modern looking uniform like the Astros used to be known for. I don't think we have to worry about goofy necessarily. So any kind of, I don't think the Astros name is going away at this point. You've won a championship. Uh, right. But I don't think we're going to get Astros with stars in the font, that kind of. Right. Deal. But I think that's what this allows you to do. One of the benefits is that you've got a test market of things you want to try from a uniform look and feel standpoint. And so you certainly can try it out at a low risk event like a triple A club or a double A club and then see what works and then apply that to your major league team with obviously some tweaks and that kind of thing. So I think it's kind of, they've purchased themselves a testing ground or three testing grounds as it were. Um, you know, I, I assume they're still trying to buy Asheville, but it, Move it to the woodlands. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, so I think there's some benefit. The synergy, you know, if they had come in and said, hey, these are the Sugarland Astros and next year it's going to be the Corpus Christi Astros. Oh, and the Fayetteville Astros, that's what we're doing now. Nobody would be a fan of that, Oklahoma City Dodgers. Um, but I think that having your AAA team that is 35 miles away from your major league stadium having some a theme synergy with your major league clubs, not bad. And it gives the, it gives the um, parent club an opportunity to try some stuff out without having it be a national store. Brian, um, I don't know. I wanted your take on the uniform set. I think Andy and I was one of the first times when I was like, I like all of them. Like I, there wasn't one I didn't like any one of them stick out to you that you kind of like the road grays, which I I'm regretting. I didn't get the road grays. Like fantastic. Uh, maybe I spent too much time in the nineties, but I liked the teal and uh, part of what was notable too, was sort of a different, you know, particularly if we think of like the teal of the nineties being Marlins and Carolina Panthers uh, teal, it's a couple shades darker than that. And therefore it's a distinct thing. And again, if the Astros want to move to some stuff with that type of teal, again, that may be worth considering in some alternates or some, you know, different ways of, uh, of approaching that. One of the things I really liked is they did, they took the, the, the underarm stripe concept from the Astros blue uniforms, but made it a gradient. And I thought that was very interesting. So it wasn't like distinct colors, but it felt really, because I know that this was supposed to symbolize like a rocket blasting off. And it kind of felt that way by doing that gradient effect. And then they kind of had that all over the uniform in different spots. Um, It's definitely different than the Austin weirdos. And if you haven't seen the Austin weirdos of the Pecos league look yet, don't actually actually don't don't do that you'll 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 be happier they did not do a good job of keeping austin weird no they decided to use that they out roger clemens with the number of 
fonts on a uniform. I mean, it was awful. Andy, it's awful. Mathematically. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, back to the Space Cowboys, though. One of the things I really liked and was thinking more about, I guess, yesterday while I was out running errands, um, was the concept of the mission patch. So they have four marks that they advertise, and one of them is a mission patch. It's not a secondary alternate. You know, maybe it is in marketing parlance, but they're billing it as a mission patch. And to me, that means you've automatically built something for every season that you can change up a little bit, slap a new year on it and sell a whole new wave of alternate hats and jerseys and T-shirts. And and I think that's cool. I think having a 2022 mission patch as your inaugural is great. And then next year you've got a 2023 patch and, and so on and so forth. And it's slightly different. And that's another way to build on brand and colors and play with things a little bit. What I liked about it too was it classed up the uniform. So it made it like it like I preferred, I don't know, I liked all of it, but it all but it added a more traditional look for baseball fans who maybe weren't into like the cow the astronaut with the stars reflected in his visor. I mean, I think it it, it really went a lot of ways. And Brian, when you go into the pro shop, all the looks as far as on t-shirts and stuff are pretty evenly distributed. You had really a lot of options. Yeah, and again, like part of the entire inspiration for this, you know, there's some other things we talk about, but you know, having a minor league name that is interesting and you can say, you know, you can have lots of designs about is about making money on merchandise, which of course is a big cost area for a big profit center for minor league teams. I dropped about four hundred bucks. Mr. Crane, thanks you, and hopefully that goes to Carlos Correa. I hope it. Yeah, please make, make let my four hundred dollars go to Carlos Correa. One thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, though, Andy, and I'm gonna have you lead this off. I think Brian will have some interesting thoughts on it. But you just sort of kept making comments under your breath at the three Astros players that were represented, not on the forty man, not represented. Talk talk a little bit about just some of the things you were thinking as you watched Corey Lee run out there with the uniform on. And Corey Lee is the one I noticed, but um, it, clearly we are in a lockout, a topic that we have talked about and may talk about on this episode in a little bit. Um, so no, they build having players come out. And I was thinking, well, okay, you're going to get the dregs of whoever's in your organization that is available on that weekend uh, that is not on the 40-man roster. And I was trying to go through my head of, did we sign any non-roster invitees yet? <laughs> yeah. um, because if we did, that's who you're going to get. Um, but the Astros brought out, um, I can't remember all three of them, Corey Lee was kind of the primary one, and he's the one you should expect to see in the major leagues. Of the three, the soonest. Um, and, and I thought that was a good touch. It was very interesting to me, though, that they're actually building their marketing campaign around the idea that Corey Lee's going to be there all year um, because he, I guess, made a final AAA appearance the last couple of weeks of last season, but he was a AA player last year. Did really well and advanced a lot quicker than I think people were expecting, but he still hasn't proven himself at AAA, so it's a little bit of a risk to say, hey, this is the guy you're going to be watching for the majority of the year when he very easily could have a crappy spring and end up in double-A or a crappy April and May and end up back in double-A. I'll disagree. I'll disagree a little bit with Andy there because, hey, who are the good players in triple-A? They're the players who were in double-A last year who were waiting to go to the majors. Um, and triple-A has become less of a place for sort of development than more of a sort of a way station for, you know, guys – 
the 27th man on the roster. Oh, I don't um, that, that, Brian, uh, but my, my point was more of it's rare to see a minor league team market around any players. Yeah. Because you Absolutely. literally don't know who's going to be there week to week. Particularly affiliated minor. I mean, Indy Ball will do that if they get a guy with a name already. But yeah, Brian, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, but I also think it, you know, it's too you know, the, the broader thing we can think of as sort of Astros fans is Corey Lee is the number three catcher on the depth chart. He's not on the 40-man roster today because he doesn't have to be. But he's someone who, if there is an injury to Martin Maldonado or Jason Castro, I would expect that it's Corey Lee who's called up. Um, maybe not in April. They may work their way around that. But particularly we get later in the year, and particularly he continues to may be a promising prospect and be someone who's developed and be someone you look at and say, that's the Astros catcher starting catcher in well, definitely 2024 and maybe 2023. You mean if they might manipulate the service time though, if, if they, well, I don't, yes, they are definitely willing to do that. And frankly, if I step back from my moral standpoint, you should manipulate the service time because it's so easy to, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the rules of the game. It's the rules of the game and they're set up. And this is one thing that I hope gets addressed in the collective bargaining agreement um, because it's, it's silly and it's also harmful to the game itself. Regardless of that, Corey Lee's not ready to come up on opening day. So, you know, they're, they're not going to shed a tear for that in the Astros front office. Um, but again, he may come up, he will de- feels almost, certain that he will be on the 26-man roster at some point during the season. And again, the projection is he will be. So that's the biggest risk to sort of Sugarland's marketing around Corey Lee is that Martin Maldonado has an injury. Corey Lee gets called up and becomes a starting catcher on May 15th. And well, you wanted to see Corey Lee. If you can, <laughs> if you do want to see him, you know, take, take 59 back downtown. <laughs> well, I do want to um, get to the lockout real quick. Um, and, and I don't want to necessarily like ESPN has a depressing article up by Jesse Rogers right now of when to start worrying. So there are three dates where we really have to worry. And February 8th is the first one. That means if February 8th doesn't happen, spring training probably doesn't start on time. And then February 19th. And then if the season becomes threatened on March 3rd is what he's his, he posits. But what are some things though? And, and, you know, really when you just go with one each, I guess um, we'll start with Andy on, what do you want to see coming out of the collective bargaining agreement you think will make the game better? Well, first of all, I would love for um, our journalistic community who covers things like climate change and uh, governmental issues and all the, all the horrible things that are going on in the world, give us exact dates on things, because I <laughs> wish they would throw some urgency on some of these matters. Um, you know, I think today's Monday, the 31st of January, I believe the players union is supposed to be making a response, a formal response or formal proposal as a response to the initial or the last response from the owners. Um, there will be more yelling and gnashing of teeth because, again, nothing's going to get accomplished today. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if there's anything they're willing to start getting flexible on, because to this point, there hasn't been a lot of flexibility on either side. And that's easy to say because they haven't had a whole lot of conversation to this point. I think we're at four. Today will be the fourth conversation since the lockout. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I expect a whole lot of anything to happen before the end of February. Uh, 
but as far as changes I would like to see, I think you have to address the service time manipulation. I don't really know what the good answer to that is, though, because do you say, okay, you only have five years in the minors and then you have five years in the majors and that's it? Okay, well, when does that stop and start if you've got a guy coming up and down? And people far smarter than the three of us will have to figure that out. But that's not as easy as just flipping a switch and saying, hey, you can't manipulate service time anymore. Because who's to say George Springer was ready when he wasn't called up? Because it is a development issue. And we see guys like Jared Kellenek with the, uh, with the Mariners who got brought up and was actually threatening a lawsuit for not being brought up and then proceeded to suck most of the year. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 there's a lot of gray in that. Um, I would like to see the luxury tax uh, ceiling raised or eliminated, but I'd also like to see a salary floor put up. Um, I, I think that the big time owners, the big market owners have a legitimate gripe with the small market owners who frankly aren't trying to be competitive. Um, and I'm talking about the pirates and to some extent, the Royals, um, and they've got limit, they've got limitations. Certainly yeah. there are certainly more that there's certainly more they could do. And if they were smart about it, it's not just hiring one veteran and paying them a lot of money. It's paying more players, better wages. So you can attract free agents. You can hold on to your players a little bit longer and, and you can be a competitive team. Baseball is better when everybody's got a chance to win. And when you look at the last, it's gotten better the last couple of years, but I think two, three years ago, the 19 season, there were four teams, five teams with a winning, with a winning, with hundred wins. And then there were like 20 teams that has had losing records. And yeah. 10 of those teams had no chance of competing the entire year. And, and I'd like to see more parity and I don't know how you manipulate that necessarily, but I'd like to see efforts made towards that parity getting better. Brian. Yeah. One of the issues I'm looking at the most in the, uh, in the bargaining uh, is what goes on with minimum salary. And there's the biggest reason for that is more teams have been employing more and more minimum salary players. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is as we see this sort of endless parade of middle relievers and to go back to what I talked about a little bit earlier, you know, people seeing AAA more as a holding ground for, you know, having essentially a 15 or 16 man pitching staff. Um, you know, there's just more young players in the game. Um, and that would be a place where, again, it's happening. And then <laughs> secondly, uh, apologies. Uh, and then secondly, um, teams have been using more and more younger players as they have sort of figured out, hey, paying $10 million to a league average left fielder is going to cost me $10 million because I can find a league average left fielder or a league average left field platoon among a bunch of a couple guys in AAA. And that's a harder issue to deal with from a broader standpoint of how do we deal with the issues Andy's talking about with competitive balance and getting more money to the players um, and less of it to the owners. And one way to deal with that would be a really large increase in the minimum salary. Baseball has the lowest minimum salary of any of the major sports in the United States and has the highest share of minimum salary players of any sport in the United States, both in terms of the number of players and also in terms of playing time. And so that's something I've been particularly looking at. Uh, good news, 
in their last proposal, the owners incre uh, proposed increasing the minimum salary from $600,000 to $615,000, which is a more money unless you start factoring in inflation, inflation from the last time, yeah. the cost of living from the last time they did this in which it's a decrease. <laughs> so um, again, uh, small steps. And actually to get to Andy's point about sort of, you know, there's been movement, but there's been particularly more movement so far by the players and particularly saying, we're going to give up trying to push uh, free agency down past six years, um, turn sort of in that but there's been relatively little movement on minimum salary or on the uh, collective bargaining thresholds, the luxury tax thresholds from the owners. So this will only start moving when the owners start moving or they break the players, uh, which will take a lunch. Take, I think both of those will take a while. I, one of the things I'm interested in, and, and I'm, I'm always, I always, I'm a see both sides kind of thing. And, you know, I, I like the idea of changing up draft compensation. So not necessarily worst record gets the first pick, but I also, and I know we're trying to like disencourage or, or not encourage tanking, but I'm also thinking about not every, if you discourage tanking or re or that's, that's the negative word for it. If you, if you um, discourage really rebuilding your organization, you're forcing teams like, well, like the Astros from, you know, five or seven years ago, the Royals to play the same game the Yankees are playing. And we already know they can't play that game, but, uh, but on the other hand, it does seem like a lot of teams have sort of taken the idea of what the Astros and the Cubs and the Royals did in a few years ago. And now they're just using it as an excuse to not have any payroll. And so I don't know, I'm very torn on it, but I like the idea of sort of going with more of an NBA style draft pick situation, as opposed to what the NFL does as far as straight up worst record gets first pick. That's me. Yeah, there's been there's been proposals both sides for some type of lottery with different variations of that. So I do think that's something we will see. The midpoint in that is, you know, whatever the compromise point of that is is unclear. But it seems both both sides are open to a draft lot uh, draft lottery. Yeah. Well, well, that does wrap up the episode today. Andy, did you have anything you wanted to pile on to me about that? No, it's, you know, why the Astros were hated before they were hated for the current reason was the whole tanking thing. Um, I do think that since this is an Astro-centric show, my opinion on that is that it wasn't necessarily a tank job as much as it was. Drayton McClain completely stripped all effectiveness out of the minor leagues at every level, and there was no choice. So it wasn't like we tried buying free agents. It didn't work. We tried it for five years. It didn't work. Right. And the, the owner had to come in and it wasn't like we could bring up young guys to play that were any good. So the result was you had really bad teams. We tried to bring up triple A guys. They sucked. We tried to bring up double A guys. They sucked <laughs> yeah. uh, because Drake McLean and all his infinite wisdom decided Carlos Lee and Hideki Matsui and Miguel Tejada would be a much better deal than paying signing bonuses to minor leaguers. And we shouldn't sign a third round draft pick because, you know, the $500,000 you give to that is just money wasted. Just silly. I'm not going to see him for five years. Yeah. And, uh, you Groceries. know. <laughs> Groceries. All right. Well, that does wrap up this episode of Go Go Astros. All right, everybody. Have a great day. We'll be back next week. Go Space Cowboys. Happy lockout. <laughs>